Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. Today's episode is going to feature the crew from For the Water. This group of friends came together for a 102-day trip of a lifetime circumnavigating Lake Superior, and after some time guiding groups on day trips along Lake Superior's pictured rocks, they had an understanding of the power of this inland sea. What they may have lacked in experience, they certainly compensated for with youthful exuberance and advice from friends and others along the way. They gave themselves some time, they kept the shore close at hand to keep the trip safe, so listen and enjoy as I talk with Ryan, Drew, and Jared from For the Water. Hey guys, how you doing today? Thanks for joining Paddling the Blue. Hey John, hey, how are we how's doing? Hey, going, John? Excellent. Hey, John. Thanks for having us on Paddling the Blue. It's oh, fun. you're welcome. You're welcome. Hey, um, tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about your personal paddling background. Uh, Ryan, let's start with you. John, my grandparents actually used to own a kayaking outfitter shop in Glen Arbor, Michigan, and I think that's kind of where it all started. But also being out on the water, luckily I was having that opportunity to do so. That's where it all started. But then, of course, moving up north to Lake Superior, being around the area, being on that water, really came full circle for myself. Drew, how about you? Uh, yeah, so I uh, actually grew up in Missouri in uh, the Ozarks. So I grew up just uh, doing family canoe trips, uh, more or less floats instead of paddling really but that really got me started on the water but likewise to ryan i actually never even uh really sat in a sea kayak until i was up uh, near lake superior so and uh jared how about yourself yeah mine's pretty similar to ryan's as well uh just a couple floats when i was a youngster and growing up on lake michigan um it was just kind of the love for the lake that transferred into kayaking so uh, moving up to Lake Superior, started guiding and paddling pictured rocks every day and fell in love with it there. All right. So now did you all guide together? We did. Yeah, we did. We did. Yep. Okay. And you guide pictured rocks area? Yeah. And Carl was there as well. Okay. Yes. Excellent. So that, is that how you all met? Uh, college, but yeah, we all became closer working for the same outfitter. Okay. So that's kind of how you cut your teeth in terms of sea kayaking, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. It broke yeah. us in. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, Ryan, where did the idea from this trip come from? That's an idea for, uh, that's an answer for Drew, I think. Drew and Jared and, and myself and sitting in the house of, in Marquette. And oddly enough, I don't know how it all began, but I think Drew or Jared brought it up. But it Drew, it was on Drew's bucket list forever and then it was one of those things sitting around a pool table with a beer in your hand and all of a sudden <laughs> it was true so drew tell us what got you fired up about the trip uh i just knew i i knew lake superior held so much more than um the area that we were really paddling and i just knowing those guys you know and being on the water with them day to day you really get to learn personalities and people you click with and could spend uh you know that long of a trip with so obviously just kind of extending my just a thought just a, a straight thought like hey we should paddle around lake superior you know it didn't even seem like a, a really a question to the guys you know when i said something like that they were immediately like yes yes we should and the idea was hatched from there then huh 
So Jared, give us a little bit of background. Tell us, uh, tell us about the trip itself. You know, the idea was just sparked. There were so many reasons not to do it. And then just a couple really awesome reasons to do it. You know, from once we committed to it and we were able to acquire sponsors and, you know, get all of our gear together, it slowly became more real. And, you know, after a few months of preparation, we were on the water. Just from there, every the first few weeks, every day was like surreal. It was like, oh my gosh, are we actually doing this? We're sleeping the night here and going the same direction the next day. And the beginning was just really exciting. Um, everything was new and, well, semi-new. You know, we paddled up to Pictured Rocks and we were familiar with that. But then beyond there, every day, you never know what Will's going to hold. Then from there, you know, we had some complications with Drew that I'm sure we'll get into later. But then from there, everything just became big, mighty Lake Superior that you know it. Crystal clear waters, big rocks, uh, just absolutely gorgeous scenery. And then the people in every community were awesome and inviting and just great to connect with. And <laughs> I guess that, that'd be a good overview. Beautiful scenery and great people. And great company all right so you say um re well i mean i suppose with any circumnavigation i mean the you know you're circumnavigating it's just keep paddling and uh, keep the shore on your right um and that's kind of the, the basics of how it's going to go with your circumnavigation but you know you mentioned uh, reasons not to do it you said there were so many reasons not to do it give us some of those reasons not to do this trip well the obvious ones were like college for myself i still had a semester or two to finish um, the summer that we planned the trip and Carl was still in school too. So there was that whole aspect like, oh, let's do it when we graduate. And Ryan's like, no, we can't wait. Like if we wait another summer, it's, it's just not going to happen. We're going to get busy doing other stuff. So he was really able to push us into it from there. And then there's just like the obvious other questions like, the unexpected really going into the unknown there's always questions about it and just like logistical things crossing the border and all that where are we going to camp you know if you feel like thinking about all that stuff and at least preparing your mind for the unknown you could consider that a reason not to do it but as most sea kayakers or mini sea kayakers know it that that's half the fun is adventuring via sea kayak so um we're we are up for it for sure. Well, that's part of exploring is the uh, the unknown. So, so which of you is the planner? I'd uh, I would say Ryan. it was the majority of all of us, but Jared did express that I was the the pusher. Okay. I was the arm twister. <laughs> all right. So, yep. so I hear it. that's a that's a that's affirmative yeah, from that Drew a, too. That was a Roger. All right. So I heard Jared say uh, just a few weeks of planning. So from the time that uh, you're standing at the pool table with the beer in your hand to the time you hit the water for the trip, how long? I would, it was a good 12 months, to be honest. Oh, okay. Something like that, 11 months, nine, 10 months, yeah, somewhere, like somewhere close months. to 10, 11 months. All right, so more than a few weeks of planning, I guess. So what, what did that planning yeah. process look like for you? Well, John, keep this in mind. Um, none of us actually had our own sea kayaks okay um, so we had to figure out to how to get boats and ones that are ready for an expedition as well as the majority of the gear 
also being struggling financially college students. I think the combination of that time frame and then not having kayaks at the moment kind of put us into this push of, oh, we need people to back us up on this. You know, we need this. Uh, we need help. We really started to uh, reach out to different companies that we really appreciated them for the products they make and things that we really needed, you know, PFDs and paddle and a skirt and a boat, first of all, right? So really just trying to reach out for those companies to to help us out a little bit and to see um, what our vision was for the project, you know, because it wasn't just um, about the paddling. It was about creating a piece of art to share. So I, I, I wrote a, a bunch of, you know, proposals because as Drew said, we needed a bunch of backing and and, and proof that we were going to help these com- companies as much as they were going to help us, enabling us to circumnavigate Lake Superior. It wasn't until Aquabound, which was actually a partner with uh, our guiding service in Munising along Pictured Rocks, that I'll give a huge shout out to Andrew Stern, who is one of the representatives from Aquabound. And he was, uh, he saw my proposal and right away he was hooked. And once I could prove once we proved that Aquabound was on board with this uh, huge project, then it then everyone kind of just started trickling in. But before then, with no else, no other backers, it's uh, it was hard. It was very hard, and it wasn't until probably three or four months before even current designs got on our back and said, "Yep, let's uh, help these guys out," and they got us a killer deal. And, expedition ready sea kayaks and you know for six months we didn't even think it was going to happen because we didn't have expedition ready boats and until we went to canoe copia and picked those up and and we started you know walking around talking to other sponsors you know maybe even we ran into you and didn't even know it all right so once you had all that stuff set up you had all the gear that's all in, all in place now you're ready to go full steam ahead so how does the planning process go for you for what the trip's going to look like and where you're going to be and, and all that? That's where, uh, that's where Carl came in, I think, with food preparation. We would have liked to have Carl here today, but uh, food preparation and Carl being the chef was his number one priority, making sure that we were fed properly. He was, we were dehydrating food left and right. Uh, mostly like bananas, really. We ate a lot of dehydrated bananas, which were one of the favorite treats on the trip. And then ordering other dehydrated stuff that we couldn't do ourselves, like beans and peas and just little stuff that really made our meals whole. Uh, we all we prepackaged all of our own food. We didn't buy any prepackaged like camping products that you can find online. Everything was homemade in Ziploc bags. We made a hundred dinners, we made a hundred breakfasts, and lunch was trail mix day in and day out, even sometimes for lunch and dinner <laughs> and breakfast. It was the best thing ever. Oh yeah, trail mix goes a long way. So Drew, what did you find most unexpected about the trip? Honestly, um, I didn't expect it to go, at least in terms of the preparation and our initial like first two weeks went so smooth. It was almost like when we actually launched on the day that we did launch, 
it was like a weight was lifted off our shoulders because it had just been like go 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 trying to get all these things in line right um and then once we were on the water it felt like a real weight lifted off our shoulders and like all we have to do now is just paddle all day long every day so it went really really smooth until uh two weeks in when i found out i wasn't gonna make it into canada with the guys so that was like the big kind of the big thing that happened first off in the trip that really you know threw us off a little bit that definitely was a curveball but we definitely ran with the hand we had there so this happened two weeks into the trip right yeah, so it had okay. two, happened two weeks into the trip, and um, you know we all were applying for our remote area border crossings permits um, to get into Canada without actually having to go into an office or anything. But I had some trouble with mine because of uh, some of the things in my past. So I tried my best to get in, but it, it came down to the day, and unfortunately I got a negative, but... Uh, you know, you never know what's actually going to come out of the bad things that do happen when the road curves off. So, so this is two weeks in. How long? How long was the trip in total from the end to end? It was 102 days end to end. Okay, and then so you had to detour off, couldn't couldn't join the group, and then the group goes across Canada, comes in back into the U.S. Um, how how long was that gap? 45, 46 days or so. Yeah. Okay. So you guys are down a team member for half the trip almost. Yeah, a month and a half. Yep. It was it it flew by, but it was it was weird. Yeah. So now how how Drew how'd that affect you? Oh man. Oh, it was so hard to say goodbye to him on the water. Probably one of the more difficult moments the whole way around for me. Um so we we split and um you know, we're both pat- I'm paddling backwards. And that felt so, so wrong. It felt so wrong for me to be paddling backwards with the, like you said, shore on the right, right? Yeah. Uh, the shoreline was on the left for that. So it felt really weird. I wasn't with my friends and I didn't really, we kind of had some ideas with what we were going to do. You know, we sat there on shore after we found out that this was going to happen and, you know, kind of tossed around some ideas that oh, maybe we can just paddle all the way to the Atlantic and stay on the U.S. side, you know, and that would keep us as a group of four. But I I knew that Superior was the one to paddle. I kind of made that decision to say, no, you guys should definitely carry on without me and, you know, I'll meet you on the other side. So that's kind of what happened. And then when I landed uh, back in Marquette, I kind of was just sitting there, felt weird and you know, was kind of thinking about plans and boom, there you know it. I found out about the Boundary Waters, which um, the Pigeon River, which is the the big flow the coming out of the Boundary Waters on the border there is, is what connects up to those waters there. And that's where I would be meeting the guys. So that's where I decided to go on a really big Boundary Waters paddle to basically kill time and to keep paddling. So to kind of get your head on straight and Go from there. Yeah, yeah, just keep paddling, right? Just keep paddling. So, so Jared, I'm going to throw this this next one to you. So, how did you feel that that uh, that absence? So you're down a team member. How did that affect uh, you and the rest of the team? We're just all really bummed, and the decision making process from there was difficult. Um, as Drew was thinking about leaving and whatnot, 
you know, we thought about trying to sneak them into Canada and all that stuff, but <laughs> uh, not worth the risk. So yeah. They don't, they don't like that stuff. So, yeah, from there, we were just, we were really bummed for a while. And as we paddled north and he paddled away, that was a really weird day and um, evening that night. And then he got back to Marquette and, and we just kept paddling because just keep paddling, of course. So eventually we got into different scenery too so you know we started to get excited about that and then once we heard drew was doing the boundary waters we we're we we're psyched for him we'd always miss him out there and think of drew and we knew he was there paddling with us and everything but yeah when he told us about the boundary waters trip we were just blown away and so excited for him and just really made the most out of that unexpected turn in the trip good so, uh, Ryan, from a logistics standpoint, being down a member, how did that affect the team? Yeah, to rebound on what Jared was expressing, too, was once we found out that Drew was on the water, back on the water, even on land when he had that brief moment of trying to figure out what he was going to do, we were still for the water. And, you know, it kind of worked out on a favor in a, in a strange, weird way of, it, it made the trip a little bit more exciting. It put us on our toes. He was spreading the word in the boundary waters of for the water. You know, May, he wasn't with us three on Superior, but he was still pushing our mission. And that was sharing our passion and our love for the lake. And then Drew fell in love with the boundary waters. And I'm still itching to experience what he's experienced because what he did and how fast he was able to plan logistics. We're going to logistics on then was he went and bought a canoe. He did all his research. He, he didn't even have a portage yoke and like all these weird logistics to where people, probably people thought he was crazy and he was crazy to be honest, Drew, but, and he pulled it off and <laughs> I admire him for it till this day and the rest of my life. But logistics wise, we uh, separated food we gave him a stove, and in the film, you actually see him. He burns off the tip of the stove the first night that he's out there all alone. Now he doesn't know how to cook. Like, how? yeah, okay, we, he could use a, a little stick stove or fire, yada, yada, but it kind of, it's funny. <laughs> and, but logistically, it wasn't too difficult. Uh, we just gave him enough food. We gave him enough oatmeal. We gave him enough trail mix. We gave him enough <laughs> rice and beans and, and noodles. And it was that it was kind of just parted ways. And we moved on. And 46 days later, we were hugging him like it was Christmas morning on a Sunday. As long as he's got trail mix, he's all good. Uh, exactly, Jim. <laughs> so I heard, uh, I heard people earlier. And people is what, you know, that's the big thing that always makes the trip. So tell me about some of the people that you met along the way and how they uh, made the experience for you guys. Some people made certain things happen. I'll give one example, like Thunder Bay. You know, we were paddling up to like the biggest city on Lake Superior. I, we always hear Thunder Bay or Duluth, but I think Thunder Bay is actually bigger. But either way, we're paddling up to the biggest city on the lake and we have no idea where we're gonna land. We just kind of assume there's gonna be a spot. We meet some paddlers out in uh, some of the other islands on the North Shore and they invite us to stay on their boat like without that we wouldn't have known where to land it in that city and may have been in for a super long paddle that day that was one example of 
people just being really inviting. And then there was, oh man, just so many great people, other people that helped us connect with the environment too. Well, one of the walls we were in, we were just waiting in Mishpacatan. Uh, Ryan connected us with uh, Mishpacatan First Nation. I'll let him tell that story a little bit, but that was another really unique experience for us. So Ryan, let's hear about the First Nations experience. Yeah, so that came together. We were at uh, National Superior Adventures, which is a guiding service based out of it's not in Wawa. It's it's kind of just on the you know the lake shore on that northeast corner. Dave, who is the operator, he has very close relations with Evelyn Stone and the Mishpacat and First Nation. And like we were just sitting at breakfast one day, and he's like, "Oh, by the way, like the Mishpacat and First Nation is doing a water ceremony this afternoon." And I was just like, "Okay, well that was meant to be. We should." get in contact with them, make sure it's still happening. And by the way, we don't show this, but we hopped in a truck and we drove there, just the three of us. And it was really weird to be in a truck. And I don't know if I want to say that because we we were in a truck and it was just weird. But, (laughs) and we show up and there's three white males like ourselves and we show up and there's just three indigenous women and it was like a culmination of balance and it just and then they were so thankful that we showed up we offered you know some sema tobacco did the water ceremony shared stories laughed and ate some food and kind of parted ways and evelyn stone and her friends groups they're amazing a few times during the movie um you do the, the the tobacco ceremony so tell us a little bit about that and the significance behind that the Sema is um, the Anishinaabe word for tobacco. And of course, uh, what we were using was not original native tobacco. Original native tobacco is a mixture of different roots, barks, um, and berries, you know, from the northern forest. But this is traditional, you know, American tobacco. And we were using that as tobacco offerings. Um, and that was something that the natives did. Anytime they uh, would harvest anything, whether that be birch bark for an actual canoe um, that they would be building, or a deer, or blueberries, uh, they would always offer the tobacco back to the land as a uh, respect, as a as a thank you, um, as a miigwech, as we come to use that word often, um, which means thank you, and it means uh, thank you for everything. Um, thank you for life. Thank you for this food. Thank you for whatever they may be taking from the land. So the natives, um, very big paddlers, um, because that was the way to obviously, uh, navigate the great lakes, the fastest way to get to all the harvest lands, the different harvest lands that they knew about was by boat, by their birch bark canoes. So they use that tobacco as well on, uh, large crossings and, so we, we came to do that. Our actual first tobacco offering was uh, under uh, Lover's Leap at the Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore. Um, if anybody's familiar with Pictured Rocks, it's very delicate sandstone. Um, and shortly after we paddled through the leap, a, a large slab of uh, sandstone actually came down. So that was a pretty significant moment for all of us, I think. 
Um, and it almost, to me, it seemed like a sign, like a, you shall pass, you know, you, you shall keep going. Um, so it became really important to us in our day-to-day routine and how we looked at the lake, you know, is, is more is just uh, more, more or less um, uh, a spiritual adventure, you know. So uh, it became really important to us to offer tobacco on larger crossings, um, and to always uh, be saying miigwech, which means thank you, you know, for after our, our morning meal or our, our nightly meal. Yeah, we really we really started to pick up on that. And I think uh, we all learned to really appreciate the way the natives uh, traveled and the way they they saw that place. So um, it, came, it became a big part of the trip. So um, I know we're all still using uh, that, that same miigwech means thank you very cool learning from the from the trip so aside from being down a team member and wanting him back um ryan what would you say your your biggest challenges were along the way on the trip yeah that's an interesting question because each challenge presented itself with an unknown on a day-to-day basis but i think the biggest challenge was which a lot of sea kayakers can relate to this was where the heck are we going to beach our boats and sleep you know some nights we had you know we actually i think we could all relate that at the end of the trip we dislike sandy beaches we love our little cobblestone beaches that you know if it rains it's like a natural you know drainage system it's great you know your stuff doesn't get sandy but then you know some days we are sleeping on logs and sleeping on big huge boulders being landscaping and being Ford formsmen and that's part of it and logistically of like maybe whose property are we sleeping on and you can't plan those things due to weather and it was great and that was the biggest unknown but that might have been the biggest challenge so Jared uh, any particularly sketchy moments along the way <laughs> uh, yeah there's one there's I'd say one time we were actually caught off guard while on the water, and that was in the Puckasaw National Park in Ontario, so we're talking northeastern Superior. This is also the most remote part of any of the Great Lakes. I think it, at one point the closest road was 90 kilometers away. Yeah, we were, we were pretty exposed out there for sure, and um, this came through as a squall. Yeah, we were just watching the weather on the horizon and paddling away. We start hearing thunder. We're like, okay, well, we'll monitor that. It gets closer. You know, we got rocky points and sandy beaches at this point for the most part. So as the weather just gets closer, we beach it. it seems to die off. We get back on the water. Then the squall hits, and we heard later that it was gusting up to, like, 60 knots or something, so... Yeah, we definitely felt to jump up to gale force. We were paddling for the point. Carl's hat blows off. and So he takes his hand off the paddle and gets blown into a cove. And So him and Ryan are in the cove. And uh, I get to the point, but go back to see what they're doing and end up just getting blown into shore. Um, there was just like a little cobble beach that I had to pull my boat up to because the wind, we couldn't have paddled against it. We did that and then just endured a thunderstorm right over our heads for a little bit. And then uh, the winds kind of mellowed out and we were able to keep paddling. That was one situation where we were 
thankful that we were in a safe spot for it. Other than that, you know, we had a couple big crossings, like the Isle Royal crossing was around 14 miles, and it, it went really smooth uh, both ways. So we're thankful for that because that's obviously a big crossing that can get you into trouble on the wrong day. So, uh, Drew, what were your biggest learnings from the experience? My biggest learnings from the experience was you can do it. I mean, I would say for all of us, we were pretty, our experiences um, were, I would say our experience level as paddlers was still at the intermediate for sure um, before we even went on a trip like this. My suggestion for people who are looking to do longer expeditions, if you feel like you can read water conditions well, and of course always paddling with a partner, that you should definitely never doubt yourself and um, believe in yourself and that you can do it because, you know, day after day we were paddling 20 plus miles. Um, our longest day was 38 miles. As any, as any long distance paddler know, you just got to keep chugging on. I would say my biggest learning um, really was kind of finding the sweet spot between the shoreline and shooting points and um, actually starting to learn how far a point is um, with your eyes because sometimes a point can look like it's three or four miles but is actually more like seven or opposite. So you learn a lot of those things on the water too after you're, you're out there for some days. And then also just understanding, like Jared said, when, you're landing, when he was landing in the squall, there's no way you can paddle into that. So there's, there's times that you need to also just let Mother Nature be her and, and surrender to her and know that you'll, you won't win that fight. So there's definitely some um, winds that I caught in the boundary waters that was similar to Jared's where you, you, there's, no, there's no hope in paddling against that. I would say um, my, my reading conditions grew a lot. And then also just um, my mental fortitude for paddling all day long. And then also, of course, um, the aches and pains on the bodies that um, if anybody's interested in a trip like this, just believe in yourself and, and you can totally do it. All right. So, Ryan, how about, what would you say your biggest learnings were from the experience? I would say my biggest learning from the experience uh, would have to be I want to echo drew completely and jared but i learned personally as the filmmaker behind the camera all the time was learning what what moments are worth capturing and what moments are just worth viewing and absorbing with my own brain and being thankful for each day and each night because there is a lot of times where i really wanted to pull out my camera or I really wanted to pull up my camera during a huge crossing, but I just left it in my Pelican case, which my Pelican case then, which was in a dry bag, which is then just in between my legs in a 22 inch kayak, which is very difficult to even manage. That was a really fun and enjoyable experience as a filmmaker was just knowing which moments to capture and which to not. So how about you, Jared? What were your biggest learnings? Probably... Echoing the boys, um, at least Drew, I obviously wasn't filming much, so I got to take it all kind of in. And I don't know, Ryan with the camera definitely taught me some patience too. It's like, hey, boys, slow down. 
uh, we got to get this shot or whatever, come back, do this again. And, you know, when you're paddling all day, sometimes it's like, oh, come on, let's keep going. But um, that definitely taught some patience and all the shots turned out just so worth it, too. Um, and, another and big one. Sorry, can I? Sorry, Jared. I'm just yep. going to echo you real quick. But what he's referring to for those that are listening is there is probably a good 20 to 30 times where I wanted to beach my boat, scurry up a rock face 20 or 30 feet put my camera on a tripod, scrape back down to the boat, and then all in unison paddle together in this beautiful scenery, and then which I would turn around, scurry back up the boat, get my camera, go back down, and continue. And that's to kind of give everyone a full sense of what Jared's talking about. Sorry, Jared. And that'd be great to do, but you'd still be there. Right. <laughs> and extend your trip forever. Yeah, yeah exactly. I was going to say another big thing that I learned too was our diets, just eating your energy and using that energy throughout the day and not having all the extra crap in your system and everything. Like we, we felt really good out there. We felt like we had all the nutrition we needed, plenty of fresh water around, you know, some fish here and there too, always made it an awesome meal. And uh, yeah, just having variety in the meals, too. It surprised me. We all came out pretty much vegetarian, feeling really good, lost weight, and, yeah, wasn't eating a bunch of extra stuff. Uh, I think that's a big thing to learn for uh, long-distance paddling or just expeditions in general or just life at that point. It was great to learn how to eat properly and really use your energy for good out there. So as a team... Um, and I'm not sure I'll let you guys figure out who's the best one for this, but knowing what you know now, is there something you do different with the trip? I wouldn't do a thing, honestly. I want to give a big shout out on actually what we were really trying to do was to tack as many miles as possible. And uh, I know early in the trip, some of the guys thought it was not as funny as me, but I talked about tacking miles and uh, basically just going into bays that maybe weren't 100% necessary to go into or or whatever but uh Batchawana. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, I wasn't there, but thank you for that. We really I think we saw I think we saw what Superior wanted you to see. I feel like that landscape when you're going from point to point and um when you're navigating that it it kind of throws you in a route it, it kind of pushes you into spots um i think i wouldn't have tried to push it any faster i wouldn't have gone any slower i think we saw what superior offered and i personally would not have changed a thing what the echo drew on that yeah i can i can double that excellent so you did it right the first time well yeah but <laughs> so drew if, you, if we go back on that uh so Batchawana Bay is a cluster of like an infinity loop and there's two islands and we went in this huge bay and then we did, there's a chunk of islands. We did the infinity loop and we just wanted to do it to impress Drew and I guess we succeeded and made him laugh, but it was good stuff. <laughs> but, you know, we weren't trying to break a land speed record, nor we were trying to spend a, a year out there because towards the end and once we got pretty closer you know we we can't get along for you know 102 days and not have any arguments 
And so towards the end there, closer to uh, on the east side of the Keweenaw, there's definitely a, a little heated moment of like, you know, when are we going to get back? You know, let's push, let's push. No, let's, let's, let's just continue at our pace. Like the weather's going to get bad. You know, it's about to be October, like, or, you know, but uh, it was one of change of thing, really. So you had a citizen science component to this. Is that right? Yeah, that's where Jared comes yep. in for sure. So Jared, let's hear about that. What was, what was the, the uh, scientific goal here of the trip? Well, it kind of worked out for me. I, you know, we're, we're doing this trip in like a transitional period of all of our lives. You know, whether uh, Ryan and Drew recently graduated or Carl and I were getting ready to, we all felt like we wanted to bring something to the table on this trip. So I was doing my undergrad studies and my environmental program. So I thought, you know, I'm going to be doing this trip all summer. How can I like collect my research and my data for that? And, you know, like also incorporate it into for the water and help bring light to certain things on the lake. Being scientifically limited from the kayaks, we did figure out working with the Superior Watershed Partnership, a nonprofit in Marquette, uh, we learned that uh, we can do a microplastic study and not sacrifice any of the data. So that's what we did. We collected samples looking for microplastics in the lake. It was a program from the adventurescientist.org, uh, I believe. They just do a bunch of big citizen science projects around the country, and uh, they had a freshwater, well, I guess fresh and saltwater, uh, microplastic study. So we were able to contribute to that. We didn't really find anything unexpected by doing this. We found microplastics in our samples from three of the larger areas of Lake Superior, I believe it was Duluth, Sault Ste. Marie, and a town called Marathon in northeastern Lake Superior uh, that had, was known for being polluted. And so we wanted to do this as a way to also, like when we were talking to people, to let them know, like, hey, there are threats to the lake. It's obviously Lake Superior, pretty renowned for being so pristine and clean and everything. But that's not to say it doesn't have its threats and uh, the chances of it staying like this for a very long time are slim unless we really just become aware of how special the lake really is and just, you know, from there and use that passion and desire to keep it clean just as a way to keep it clean going forward and reduce threats. So how, how did you use and how are you continuing to use your journey to raise awareness of the threats to the Great Lakes? Well, right now we still have our website and social media active. Um, so there we have inform information about the trip. Yeah, just really just being able to talk about it and uh, reach out to the community. Uh, I'll let Ryan take over from here, but um, something about Film Fest down the road and just premiering our movie more often. Yeah, so Ryan, let's hear about the uh, let's hear about the film and uh, how you're using that and the site to raise awareness. The the film we uh, it took a little longer than we anticipated to actually complete the film. There's just so much that I think that we wanted to include and made sure, you know, when we released it, we released it right with so many people involved. You know, just you know, getting all of our voiceovers, at making sure we weren't 
feeding too much information but giving them just enough to kind of give them the big picture and the whole understanding of our mission. Uh, but on Earth Day of this year, 2020, we released it and got a huge, amazing, overwhelming response. But, you know, as viewers may know that, unfortunately, we had to, uh, with, co you know, the COVID-19, we kind of did a, a online release, which I'm actually really, uh, I don't, I don't want to say thankful, but I think it worked out in our favor that way because we so many more people got to view it and our original plan of course was you know we're gonna have this you know small but make it as big as we can local in-person film screening in Marquette on Earth Day uh, but of course that didn't happen but so on YouTube we released it and and it's available now uh, right now the full version is up and going we've got a kind of a small, small uh, distribution kind of deal going. We're kind of interested to see where that goes, but we also have launched the film on Amazon Prime. So the name of the film is Our Water. So it's actually just for the water, but if you drop the F and the the, it's Our Water. So it's kind of a, a fun, unique way to integrate the title into our name. But it's available now if anyone wants to view it. And like Jared's saying, you know, we've still got our Facebook, Instagram, and our website is still active. Um, but I'm always personally trying to see to where, you know, the name for the waters can still be alive. And currently, though, uh, it is just kind of word of mouth and the film. Trying to get more creative on how we can, you know, widen our reach and see what else we can do for the community and just the Great Lakes region. And uh, even further than that as well, so we can kind of get more policy and more stakeholders on board of what's going on and even, you know, signing petitions or keeping the boundary waters clean. And, you know, there's still some mines that are being proposed that will, you know, cause a huge threat to them. And there's a number of organizations working on both sides of boundary waters, Lake Superior, Lake Michigan, so on and so forth, the Great Lakes region itself. Uh, so trying to figure out how we can move forward in a beautiful fashion. Well, I was anxiously awaiting the film when it, when it uh, came out on Earth Day and watched the film, really enjoyed it. And uh, I was one who probably wouldn't have been able, to, been able to see it had you done a smaller release. So personally, I was thankful for that. I would recommend to anybody. So I mean, I, again, I'll encourage our listeners, make sure you get an opportunity to take a listen to that. So you said it's forthewater.com? Yeah, so the website is forthewater.com and it's F-O-U-R, of course. And to go back to what I was just saying, though, John, uh, we actually have been, I have been submitting the film to multiple film festivals. Currently, the one that we are really looking forward to showcase the film is actually uh, the Milwaukee Film Fest and also Fresh Coast. But Fresh Coast Film Fest up in Marquette understands the power of film in person. And I know a lot of the film fests this year during COVID season are, they're either, you know, super, super like strongly for the virtual kind of online presence, or they're just like, no, we're not going to do it this year. Like it's, that's not what a film fest is all about. Like film fest is people coming together, laughing, sharing stories, like encouraging one another face to face, which I totally understand. All right. 
So what's next for uh, for you guys? Any 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 other trips planned? I would say to go back to what Jared and we've all been saying is, you know, we're out there for 102 days and our transitions between college and our next career moves after college, having the four of us together, 102 days is, is quite <laughs> a, a time to not have an income. <laughs> so as much as, as much as I personally would like to get all four of us and, and do something else, we kind of did a huge trip and it, it's, it's hard to, it's like the first movie in a, in a three movie blog. The first, the first movie is always the best. And so it's like, how can we top that? Well, don't discount micro adventures. They can make a big difference for you. Yeah, so. I, well, micro oh, adventures, yeah. we have been doing micro adventures. I can't, I can, okay. You got me oh, there, yeah. John. <laughs> we have been doing micro adventures for sure. Excellent. Excellent. So this, guys, this has been great. I really appreciate the opportunity for us to get together and uh, learn about your trip around uh, circumnavigating Lake Superior. And then also to hear about For the Water and uh, the difference that you're making through the movie and trying to aware- raise awareness for, uh, for Great Lakes and the, the threats to the Great Lakes. So we appreciate that. Thank you very much. And so. if there's anything uh, that I want to express, all the um, proceeds through renting the film and purchasing the film are going to Superior Watershed Partnership. Um, we actually haven't We've been meaning to give them a full a full donation, but we've been waiting for the perfect time. Uh, but we've kind of just been slowly adding to the account. Uh, so if anyone's, if, for everyone that's listening, all the proceeds to the film are going straight to a nonprofit in Marquette, Michigan, Superior Watershed Partnership, uh, that are doing great things and couldn't thank them enough for their partnership. That's fantastic. Uh, I, certainly, they'll appreciate that, and, and we appreciate your dedication um, to that organization as well. So I'll make sure I put a, a link to Superior Watershed Partnership in the show notes, and we'll make certain that we get links to uh, um, to For the Water in uh, the show notes as well. Any other ways that listeners can reach you guys? You can uh, reach us on our website. We've got a contact page at just forthewater.com and shoot us a message or you know if you want to just shoot us an email it's for the water at gmail.com excellent all right well guys yeah. As, yeah go ahead oh yeah also john just knowing that this is a paddler's podcast i really just encourage anybody who is a paddler who hasn't paddled lake superior before um it truly is um a special wonder uh to get up here and experience the water and to feel it for yourself so just Definitely know that Lake Superior is, is one special place uh, to paddle. So, all those listening, um, try to try to try to figure out a trip to get up here sometime. Yeah, well, we have listeners all over the world, and uh, you know, Lake Superior certainly is a special place. Good stuff, uh, guys. One last question that I uh, generally like to ask, as from Paddling the Blue, is who else would you like to hear as a future guest on Paddling the Blue? Joe yeah, Mr. Joe Zellner, our sensei and guidance through a lot of the planning of the trip, more so just in godfather advice. So uh, I will uh, I'll work on getting in touch with Joe. I'll connect with you guys a little bit later and get in touch with him. So, guys, thank you very much for spending the time with me and going through your story. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll look forward to making sure that everybody gets an opportunity to see the film and uh, to hear what's next. 
Cheers, yeah. John. Appreciate it a lot. Cheers, Thanks, John. John. Thanks, man. Thank you. Paddle on. Miigwech. Miigwech. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, Power to the Paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or white water, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. What an amazing way to cap off your college experience. Like I said at the beginning, what they may have lacked in experience, they compensated for with youthful exuberance. Make no mistake, though, luck is definitely no substitute for skill. And these guys took steps to make sure they weren't relying solely on luck. They gave themselves ample time rather than rushing things and taking unnecessary risks. They stayed close to shore for the most part, and they relied on others and their skilled advice. They understood from their experience that Lake Superior will win if you play a game. So when taking your big trip, make sure that you've got the skills, knowledge, and resources needed to keep yourself and others safe. Please take some time to check out ForTheWater.com and view the film Our Water. All proceeds from the film go to support Superior Watershed Partnership, which is focused on conservation and public education and is 100% local to Michigan's Upper Peninsula. In the next episode, we're going to head back across the Atlantic to Cornwall, where we talk to one of the giants of the paddling world, Jeff Allen. Jeff, along with Hadass Feldman, circumnavigated the four main islands of Japan in true expedition style. His was a fascinating interview. I can't wait to bring it to you. So until next time, thanks as always for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.